Hey everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Demand Gen Chat. I'm your host, Kaylee Edmondson, and today we are joined with Craig Handy, who has a very long title, but is the head of post-sales slash evolution slash RevOps over at Shopify. So thanks for joining us. I'm glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. So I feel like you have to start with your title and yeah. kind of set the stage for how things are positioned or orged at, over at Shopify and kind of like what your layer of ownership oversees. So, so yeah, so Sh Shopify um, went through a reorganization in, I would say, December of 2020. And the intention of this was, you know, we had a bunch of different products, a bunch of different approaches to go about uh, selling it. And then kind of each product had their own go-to-market teams and their, their own full functions. And the thought was, was that that's not serving our merchants, our customers in the best way that we could, because it was very, it was, it was disjointed in the way that we interacted with them. So the decision was made to mm -hmm. let's rethink this all together in a way that actually fits better than we can, you know, put crafts together, put, uh, you know, solutions together and put the way that we communicate better. So what that ended up forming was what we call our global rev tech and ops, uh, division. And it's the focus that is all the technology, all the tooling, many of the processes and how we align that with the people and data to achieve the objectives. And I kind of see that as, you know, Shopify has this thing of being merchant obsessed and, and you know, we can talk over that, but that's, uh, they, they, we live by that. And I love that. But, uh, one of the things too was, well, how do we be merchant obsessed or how do we help the team be merchant obsessed? Well, that was, we need to provide every single person that interacts with the merchants or systems that the merchants interact with to communicate with us has to be smooth, has to be clean. So that's really what the team that, that my team focuses on is, is, is building that out. When we first did this, we formed into two groups, foundations and evolutions. Foundations was supposed to be like the main roadmap of work we were going to do the day to day kind of medium term focus. And I had the evolutions team, and this was focused on either like immediate short term, as in we need something It's going to take a couple months to do, but like we still need it right now. So what crazy thing can we come up to, to, to just bridge that gap overnight? But the main part was we were looking extreme long-term. We're trying to see one, two, three, four years out. Were we doing things that were going to be like, we don't, I don't want to be an early adopter. I want to be an innovator. I don't want to wait for technology to advance. I want to go out to businesses, out to companies, work with them to, to craft better solutions and, and give kind of the same way we, you know, Shopify says arming the rebels, like, well, why not let's arm the rebels in the rev tech space and, and kind of go out there and get that. So that was the passion. Um, but we changed a little bit again recently and we changed because, uh, it, it was, it was very separate. It was a lot to kind of put on two different groups, especially mm -hmm. in the groups we're building. So we then now broke into a more traditional system, which is pre-sales and post-sales. So we're still running the evolutions. I'm, I'm still doing that as a, as a group, but now we're responsible for uh, post-sale uh, RevTech, which is an awesome space now where you watch that bridge between, uh, I think some would refer to it as cross-sell, upsell. I like to call it coverage, but it's like, how do we take the merchants that we've acquired and connect them with the next best thing for them to advance their business and invest in their business and, and grow? So that's, uh, that's how we get that 100-year company and, and what we focus on. Yeah, you said so many interesting things just in your definition of what you're owning or what your area of responsibility is. But one of the things I think that stands out most is um, looking not not only like six months or a year ahead, but four years down the road at such a massive company. What are some of the things that go into like your day to day or like your even your quarterly planning where you're thinking like, okay, well, 
what does 2025 look like? Yeah, so so it's it's funny because it's like you know you're trying to predict the future in a way, but ultimately, uh, so someone early on in my career was, was telling me about you know open as many doors as you can, not because you need to go through every single one of them, but open every door and kind of see what's out there. So for us, what mm-hmm. I tell my team is you know take every phone call, um, which I mean I, I maybe I shouldn't say that out in a, in a public space, but you know if someone's pitching you software, like go and go and see it, see. See why they're doing there. Why do they exist? Why do they feel that there's a need for this? What other companies are, are engaging in, in this type of thing? Now, in the Shopify perspective, though, for us planning for our future, you know, we have pretty solid goals leading up to the next few years. And Shopify has been very good at kind of setting those really strong North Stars and, and those lofty objectives. So we kind of align where the fact of is we realize to hit those objectives, well, we need more people. Hit those objectives, we need to identify more opportunities. To hit those objectives, we need to, you know, make the merchant base that we have feel like Shopify is, is there for them, have the back. And so when I look at that, I, I try and find ways to get us closer to the merchants. I try and find ways for us to speed up or remove redundancies. I try and find ways to say also, is the way that humans are choosing to interact, is that evolving, is that changing? So of course, global pandemic changes the way that some people want to interact. And then we look at, well, for coming out of this, uh, and, and when we come out of this, what is that going to change? Are we going to have a roaring twenties where people want those in-person events and, and we want to actually send, you know, more of those human reactions or have we, have we shifted to, you know, kind of radical digitization of how we interact? So then kind of thinking about that. So, but, but a lot of it, you know, we, we never lose sight of the merchant, or in this case, from my regard, is the, is the human, because without them, like, I mean, what are we doing, right? So that's always, how do the humans feel and act and change and different and how does that society change? And we just reflect the technology to, to fit that. Yeah, no, and I think that's interesting too. And even your concept around leaving, um, leaving doors open or at least opening them in the first place is interesting because it's like, especially for us right now, from a demand gen standpoint, um, we are also trying to predict the market. And this is obviously my first time in my career where I'm trying to predict the market against, um, uh, you know, the pandemic. I've never been up against anything like this. And so we're even just trying to make decisions around in-person events um, and things of that nature. And it's like, do, you know, how do you plan for both outcomes? And so this is even, you know, our first scenario where we as a team are trying to come together to have a true formalized plan A and a plan B in conjunction so that, you know, if the you know, things changed very quickly or whatever, we would have a good backup plan in place. I think people always talk about it, but executing two plans at once that are polar opposite from one another is quite different from at least the way that in startup world, like we are used to operating. So um, it's an interesting muscle to flex and um, interesting to flex it four years in advance. Too. Indeed. indeed. No, no, it is. And actually like on that note too, about the events, I, I joke around, but one of my business partners, he, uh, <laughs> He, he and I could be complete polar opposites in that same regard where I'm kind of like, you know, I don't really want to travel anywhere right now. Like I actually am totally cool with virtual events. He's mm-hmm. like licked the floor at the airport comfortable. And so I'm kind of like, <laughs> all right, like you and I are very different. But in the case for him is like he's itching to go to in-person events immediately, wants to get there. And so in that mm-hmm. essence is both of us are buyers. Both of us are engaged in, in that market. So you kind of have to say like, are you going to do two things? so-so or you're going to do things really well but does that exclude those communities because and i know chili piper is obviously huge on community building which is again one of the reasons i love you guys but that scenario is is you now have people that 
going to go there and can you create that experience virtually for the ones that are not ready to do that. So it's a, it's a tough, uh, a tough job. So I yeah, don't yeah. envy you on that <laughs> yeah, it's tough. It's tough, but it's also really exciting. I think it's like a huge challenge ahead of like not just us, but obviously every marketer um, all around the globe right now is kind of facing the same thing, which I think is also very unique because normally we aren't all facing a very similar challenge at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's it's very interesting to see how companies are reacting. And I think for us, yeah, inclusion, um, because even us as a company, right, um, we're trying to plan a company uh, offsite right now. We normally do that once a year. Obviously, last year we did not get together. That was the first time in Chili Pepper's existence that we didn't get together. Um, so we were trying to do something for this October and... It's like, okay, well, now the Delta variant is a thing. Things are kind of changing. We're trying to gauge the perception internally of like how people feel and their comfortability level. I don't know that we have anybody that's quite ready to lick the floor at the airport. However, we do have a lot of differing comfort levels internally. And so we're trying to, um, you know, provide good experiences for even ourselves and then trying to figure out ways that we can also emote that in our go-to-market activities. Um to the public as well. So I think it's just super interesting and, you know, we're still figuring it out. So when we do, we'll share it with everybody, but, um, yeah, it's super interesting. And I'm, yeah, especially at scale, right. Somebody working for a company as large as Shopify, it's just interesting to hear how you guys are kind of adapting that mentality as well. Um, so let's talk about culture for a second at a company. Like, I don't even understand how large is Shopify today. And how large was it, I guess, when you joined? Like, what is your growth look like? I don't, I don't even know what, what I'm allowed to say or not, but, it, but oh, okay. let's, Skip let's over see it a lot. There's a lot of people there. So, um, okay. yeah, it's uh, it's doubled since I joined uh, and I joined in 2019. And with that evolving door, how do y'all maintain this culture and this mindset of like merchant obsessed at such magnitude and such scale? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that 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 is the question. Um because you kind of wonder too, and you, you you bring people in from different perspectives, is that like, what does that do to mm-hmm. the existing culture? And I would say like, from when I joined Shopify, it feels a little different. Um, and that granted it, it constantly will. But what I think is, if, if you take it in two different levels, like Shopify has a bunch of, of rules and well, like rules are not really great term, principles, let's say. Um, and like, for example, one of them is don't be an asshole. Right? And <laughs> I love that. You should make a t-shirt. Do y'all have a t-shirt? Yeah, honestly, a t-shirt. Yeah, yeah. Uh, one of them's thrive on change. And so things like that at, at that base level, it's like, we're not telling you what the culture is or anything, but like, if you follow these basic concepts of what we're going to do, then, then the feel will stay the same, despite the fact that people are coming from different perspectives. But as far as culture building, I think Shopify has really started to, to grasp this. And it's something that when I build a team, I do the same thing is the obsession of, of intersectionality with you know, not only race, creed, beliefs, but also experience and skill set and uh, network and location. And that creates this scenario where, yeah, I'm, I might not think the same way as you, or I'm, I'm not even like you, to be honest, that the vetting out, like we may just butt heads, but I love that because it, it's, it's challenging ideas, it's challenging thoughts, it's giving a different spin on something. And so when you look at the career and the experience in the background of a lot of, of shop folk as they, the company started to grow is you get, it's like, whoa, you came from where? And oh, you, you used to do what? And, and it's all comes back together. Uh, and to, to create, I think a very diverse and very widely experienced team that, um, you know, the, that is the culture in essence. So. Exactly. And as you're building this, um, this team and, you know, evolving your culture, but also like keeping your key principles like intact. 
obviously that plays well into this motion of part of your area of responsibility around innovation, <laughs> right? Because you're doing, you know, hiring people from different walks of life, different backgrounds, different career skill sets, et cetera. And all, all that does is fuel your playbook for innovation within all of these pockets that you're now covering. Yeah, absolutely. Actually, the, so during, during the interview process, specifically with my team that, that we run, um, what I try and do is I create a, a feeling of, not to say what you would expect, but, but what you could do. And a gauge that I have, and you know, not right or wrong, but there are some people that kind of get the open road or the vastness and they get excited around that. And others are like, whoa, whoa, like there's no, there's no structure. Like there's no, like, you know, when you ask like, what is, what does good look like in three months? And I'm like, I don't know, you tell me, uh, you, you get mm -hmm. that, oh, I don't know if that's, that's for me, but I love talking to people that come from banks because banks are very slow to innovate, very slow to change. And, you know, we interview people coming from banks and you talk about like what the role they're going to be at. They're like, I can change that. I can come, if I have an idea, we can, we can actually do something. And like, yeah. And they're like, okay, sign me up. Like I want to be there. But that evolutions piece, that innovation piece is trying to bring people in with the case of, we trust them. We trust that, you know, you, we didn't hire you to press a button. We hired you to bring your ideas, bring your motivation, bring your ambition and drive and go out and build something. And I see my job as removing anything that tries to get in your way so that you can go out and do that. Right. It's not, it's not. And, and that I think creates a high performance team, that team where they feel emotionally invested, which is incredibly important for me to see that where it's like, yeah, it's, it's not your life. Maybe it's your job. Some, some, sometimes that identity blurs a little bit, but an emotionally invested employee is one that is, you know, excited to be there, excited to support their, their peers. They look amongst the group and they, they say not like what can we do today as a team to, to do something new or something innovative, not you know, what's on my to-do list today. So that's, uh, that's what we're trying to build. And I think we're doing, doing quite well so far with it. Yeah. And I think too, it definitely starts with the interview process. I love that you flip the script back on them and say like, I don't know, what does three months look like? Um, especially in startup world, I feel like that should be a very common like response from the interviewer. Um, I feel like even myself, people always ask me like, what is, you know, what is 30, 60, 90 days out? And I'm like, 90 days out? Like you're, this is a net new role. I, you tell, yeah, you know, I've never been bold enough to say you tell me, but I think I'm going to steal that and start using it. Um, Cause it's super true. It's like, well, look, nobody knew what I was going to be doing 90 days after I got hired, right? Like they'd never had a director of demand gen before. So like every role that I've hired has been net new. And so it's like, you're paving your own path. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think it's also like a good, like disqualification, right? If you like see people's reaction on the interview and they are like terrified of what you're saying, then, you know, this is like not the best fit for them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, exactly. Exactly. Uh, and actually, so what are the other questions I asked to, uh, and this comes back to that emotional uh, connection is I asked, I asked a question, I'm told it's a hard question. I asked in any way, no matter what, and it's, what is success for you? in one year, five years, and 10 years. So what would have to be true at those landmarks to look back and say, you know, I'm proud of myself, I'm successful. Uh, and so some people can't answer that and that's, that's fine. But the intention is, is that I wanna know, you know, is this, and I'll say, is this a right fit for you? But are you gonna come here? Like, what is it that you're trying to do? And can we align those different things? Can we say, you know, that, that e this is what you value and okay, this role, this company, this business is gonna help you to get to that point. Because otherwise, you one year goal doesn't align with this role. Like, what are you, what are you doing? Right? Like, why, why are you here? Or the five year goal? Mm -hmm. Like, what is, 
you know, what's going to happen here? How, how do we get you to that? So it's, it's very important to, I think, you know, have people start to think about that. And sometimes it's as simple as, you know, I want to make sure I'm doing something that I'm creating about maybe a cop out, but you know, you get that a lot. Uh, other people are like, I want to start a family. I'm like, awesome. Like, this is a great place to do it. Uh, some of them are, you know, I want to start my own business. I love those ones too. Uh, but the best answer I got ever was, uh, someone we hired fairly recently. And she said, uh, her tenure was to be retired. And I was like, absolutely. I'm like, you're oh. hired right now. Absolutely love this. It's just like, so this ambition is just, so your plan between now and the next 10 years to be sitting on enough of, uh, enough of a base to be like, all right, I'm, I'm checking in. She's not very old either. So, uh, that was the kind of spirit where I was like, I love that. I absolutely love that. I love that. And that's super bold. Um, and unexpected, right? I feel like it catches you on your toes a little bit. If somebody told me that I'd be like, oh, intriguing. Like, can you start tomorrow? Um, no, I love that. And so as you're hiring this team and understanding like how pivotal and important RevOps is for a company at such magnitude, what would your like recommendation be for people who maybe aren't the size of Shopify um, and don't have a RevOps team or think they need one, but are unsure? Like what are some of those like critical paths to success for you? And when would you recommend to others that they build and stand up a formalized RevOps structure within their business? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I love that you asked that. Uh, and this is something I talk for, uh, talk for days about. Um, <laughs> so I'll, I'll answer it in, in, in two ways. Um, the, the first one is, Actually, I, I wrote, I was thinking about this and I wrote down something, it was like four points, um, where the first one is, is that when your go-to-market team starts to scale. And so that change is if, you know, if you have three, four sales reps, maybe a couple BDRs or SDRs, you know, maybe a marketer or whatnot in a perspective where it's like, Hey, you know, we think we can, we can scale this, or, or we know if we add five more sales reps, we're going to, you know, do X at that point is when, you know, your growth is accelerating. RevOps makes sense because eventually that's going to get to a point where let's say it's unmanageable, but your scale will be mm-hmm. more efficient with a RevOps function. That's, that's really locking. Um, another one is where if folks are spending over 30% of their time doing RevOps and that's not their job, then mm-hmm. my belief is that an employee can stretch at least like, let's say an additional 30% of what they are expected to do because they naturally want to explore and grow and try new things. But at 30%, someone who's, who's not supposed to be doing that, then there's 60% of a job that will eventually be grown into. So that's the one where I think about that. Um, stagnation. I think we think about sometimes where, oh, you know, the business is not growing. Well, what do we do? We need to fix our product or maybe we need to, you know, try and hire new sales reps or, or whatnot. I would say six to eight months of stagnation where, you know, growth is not happening quickly or you're kind of doing the same thing over again and it's not working out. You're missing opportunities. You're missing leads. You're not getting right to your, your, your base, your customer base, throw rev ups into that. That's going to put it all on its head mm-hmm. and think about it differently. And, um, and then the last part is obviously, uh, upon a, a moment of, of grand growth or investment or funding rounds, that is obviously a great point because of course you're probably going to scale at that point. So that makes sense. Um, but I generally say ASAP is when you want rev ups, which leads me to my second point, yeah. which is actually a company that I started. Uh, and it's called Jib Strategies. And the intention of that business is actually to give small businesses, medium businesses that have not invested in RevOps or are not willing to like, you know, fork out a full-time equivalent for that to get access to that as kind of like, you know, RevOps as a, as a SaaS product, let's say. Uh, and so that's the thing that we found is that the, the premise has been you naturally acquire the technology, you naturally start to adopt the processes way before you have the people to, to run it and to facilitate it. That's mm-hmm. normal. That's natural. That's of course going to happen. 
The difference though, is that if you can get access to that for an hour, a couple hours a week, then you can turn around and say, okay, well, I don't need that until I get to maybe 10 million. But what I can do is I'm setting the right things in place, setting the right things in motion to, to grow effectively. Exactly. And at least building a scalable foundation, because I feel like more often than not, um, people don't invest in rev ops, marketing ops, ops in general, um, until it's too late. And then you join somebody, you know, you, you bring somebody into this spider web is almost always is what I refer to it as, where it is just like a tangled disaster, mm -hmm. right? Because it's been like half owned by somebody in marketing, half owned maybe by somebody in sales who was just like tired of dealing with the weird handoff or like total lack thereof. Um, and then maybe even sometimes like a random executive where they're just trying to like fill this gap between the two functions and even between like sales and CS. And there's no one sitting in the middle of that, you know, Venn diagram that I just drew. Uh, and all the processes are different, right? It's like marketing went their direction, sales went their direction, CS and support went their direction, and nothing's talking. And then you have like a major, major issue. Mm -hmm. um, and I feel like more often than not, that's how it gets to, right? Which I guess Absolutely. is what you're finding, which is why you started this business on the side. Yeah, um, we, see, see, we we call it the the Frankenstein system. Um, because oh, what good. ends up happening and I've seen so many Salesforce instances, for example, where you go into that and it's just, it's just straight up with a Frankenstein. I say, what <laughs> am I looking at here? Like what, what's actually happened? Uh, but you said a great point, um, about foundation and that I, I want to touch on that because when, when I first started doing this, I started talking about, you want something that is scalable. We want to build a scalable foundation and I've stopped using the term scale. And I don't know anywhere I've read that. I don't know if it's a book or something. I, I saw it you know, not too long ago, but the sense is like, stop trying to be scalable from the beginning. And the perspective had mm. been is that if you do things that are scalable, you won't often do the right thing at the right time. And so in this case is actually scalable is, yeah, this solution we're going to outgrow me or this thing that we're doing, it's, it's going to, you know, we're going to get rid of it with the intention to do something different. So that doesn't have to be scalable. The foundation though, a strong foundation allows you to dump things and toss things out and how to do different things. And that foundation is often on a data perspective or on a, a you know, overarching uh, approach perspective. And so that, that's one of the things to do when, when we build Salesforce or we build, uh, you know, revenue systems for businesses, the perspective is, is that we're going to set you up with everything that you need to not have to go back and completely rethink everything from, from the ground up. And that, what we then say is footnotes kill funnel and every time you have to change mm. the way that you think about uh, a lead the way that you report the way that you do everything you created a footnote where well, we've only been doing this for about six months so we only knew this for about five months well show me the year over year growth well that data back there's a little so like that's all it's, it's like investor 101 in this case where you're like okay like i've probably seen this a million times but imagine you go into a place where the business is like yes we've kept consistency across the board despite the fact we've changed how we do it but the data and the, and the foundation is the same and it's designed for growth. Yeah, no, I love that. Um, I'll take a scalable foundation out of my vocabulary because I, I mean, I agree. I think it's like scalable for that moment in time, right? And I feel yeah. like I say like phase of growth a lot in my day to day because I'm like in this phase of growth, this is like what's going to be really important for us. However, this next phase of growth, we should think like this or do like this. And if we could keep some type of that foundation again, but the footnotes thing as well, I think is a great point because even us like in our Google Analytics account, it's like footnotes, right? 
this thing happened on this day. Oh, we changed, you know, we shipped strategies on this day and we have just like annotations for like everything so that we can mm -hmm. try and validate or dismiss like dips or inflations in traffic. Um, and that same sentiment like dissolves to your entire business. Mm -hmm. um, it's just not maybe as trackable as GA annotations. Yeah, um, <laughs> but no, it's a great, it's, it's all, it's all good points. And I think these are good things for like the audience to take away and think about how this affects their org or how they could change some of these things that are maybe already happening for their, their business. Um, with the few minutes that we have left, I want to dive into this. And I don't know if you're going to have enough time to cover it in as much depth as you want, but it's interesting enough. You, when we were chatting before this um, interview and, you know, discussing potential topics to talk about, you talked about having a deep passion for psychographics and measuring the right metrics. Mm -hmm. I feel like we just touched on data a little bit, um, but I've never heard anybody say that they have a passion for psychographics. So I feel like you should maybe elaborate just a little you know, bit. <laughs> yeah. So, so I think it, it, it stems back to um, a conversation that I'm having almost every day and it irritates me to, to no end, but it's about conversion rates and, uh, <laughs> The, the industry, the businesses, everything are very focused on, well, how do I optimize my conversion rate from, you know, MQL to, to Sal or Sal to SQL, or, you know, how do I, you know, fix my win rate? And the difficulty that I have about those things is that it, it's, I want to throw two principles out and then dive into specific, the, the better solution. The first one is Goodhart's law. And the concept is, is that you, if, if, if a measure becomes the goal, it ceases to be a good measure. Um, and so in this case is that you, you, yeah, I can make the win rate better. I just put less things in the pipe that are, or I just, I drop my, my initial conversion rate. So I'm super qualified leads, but what ends up happening mm -hmm. is you start missing things there. Well, at least the second point, which is the multi-arm bandit. The multi-arm bandit concept is that you have to find this balance between exploitation and exploration. And what I mean by that is you say, you optimize, optimize, optimize. We're like, yeah, we know if we talk to this particular customer, uh, they're a great fit and we're going to close them. So we're just going to target that really great customer. What ends up happening is, is that if you don't target the customer that you're not sure about, if customer that's not a perfect fit, you don't find out why they're not a perfect fit. You don't see if there's a value there. You don't innovate your business for that. And then you don't actually grow. And so that multi-band concept is the actual optimal path is not through exploiting what you know, but it's balancing, exploring what you don't. And then from the learnings of that, continuing to exploit what you, what you now learned. Uh, and so to do that, yep. fixing conversion rates or be like, yeah, this piece converts at a higher rate, which is going to produce more QLs. Sure. If you, if you look at the numbers, grip, that's fine. But what it doesn't tell you is why is the person there? What, what is, what is their, what is their mm -hmm. path to interacting? What do they feel when they get on the follow? And, and what, you know, how should we communicate with them? And so on the, the psychographics perspective is, it's like, cause I think in CMS is now you, you start to see this a little bit more, but you know, oh, this, they converted on this particular piece of content and therefore they must care about this. But I want to know is like, how long, how long did they spend there? And, and what was their path and what type of questions can we assume that they were asking? Can we get our chat bot to just ask a random question when it pops up? They're on this page like, Hey, are you like for, for us with uh, the Shopify fulfillment network, for example, you know, they may be on there, they're looking at a piece that says when to switch from, uh, self-fulfilling to third-party logistics. We can make an assumption that at that point they're Maybe they're growing, right? But then the pop, the chat pop up and says like, um, how much growth have you had over the, over the year? And then it's like, oh, like a 10%, 50%, 100%. From there, you start to understand, oh, the person is getting hammered. Maybe they've gone viral. They're getting hammered with product requests or, or, or shipment requests like, and they're, they're drowning. Or maybe it's like, oh, they're having steady growth. So this will be a slower mm -hmm. buying process. Um, 
you know, all those things. So psychographics for me is, is that for like, forget everything. Let's focus on the human, the, the actual human that is there. Like, cause businesses that don't actually buy, it's, it's, it's the person, the person buys, how do I get inside their hearts and minds? How do I get inside that feeling? And, and then you have to put in measures to actually measure those psychographics, capture it from your sales team. What are, what are the salespeople carrying? They, they write a text note, but what about like, this is, is this person very aggressive in the negotiation? Is this person, someone who's a low risk taker? Is this grabbing those things then allow you to build better marketing mm-hmm. content, allow you to do more compelling sales. And then the best part after it's once you close the deal, you have a profile on this person, uh, you can reduce churn from that because you can then understand how should I communicate with this person, uh, and, and open text boxes from sales teams and not capturing in marketing doesn't do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think it happens through the entire process and, and that is that that major focus. So I haven't yeah. quite cracked the, cracked the, uh, the secret on that yet, but it's, it's a passion of mine now to, to do that. Yeah, absolutely. No. And I think too, like getting stuck in, um, exploitation is m- maybe more common than not. Um, cause I feel like even us to a certain degree, as we were scaling and ramping very quickly, we were like, these are our target accounts because they fit X, Y, Z. However, in that we notice exactly what you're saying. So um, something that's tactical that we've started doing that maybe others listening could implement for themselves as well as we have a, a team of trailblazers internally where it's like that is their comp. That's what they're measured on. It's anything other than what we've been doing. Right. Mm-hmm. So they like go out and do their own like quick analysis, market understanding, et cetera, um, and stand it up. Right. And just like do the polar opposite of what it is that we've always been doing and just try new markets or um, new verticals, new under like new understandings of people, titles, like anything that we can get in front of that's the polar opposite of what we've been doing. And it's actually starting to work really well. Um, we've stood that up, I guess, a quarter or so ago. So we're still fairly in infancy stages as far as like scaling it. Um, but it was like a passion project from our sales leader where he just, you know, hey, we've been going after the same types of people, the same accounts, the same companies, et cetera. We need to try something different. Um, and it's working really well. So now we're standing up a marketing arm to like help because it's been purely outbound to this point. Um, so now we're going to start to try and generate some inbound interest as well on um, the trailblazing accounts that those teams have been yeah. going after. So that's something maybe smaller and tactical that listeners could stand up or consider um, implementing something like that in their org. But I think it's a great point. That, that's, so. that, yeah, and that's absolutely, that's so true. Like you, you I, I love that you guys are doing that, but I, I think I think the the kind of thinking here is that, you know, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. Like go mm-hmm. close a bad deal. Like just go close a bad deal. So what happens. And and from that exactly. perspective, it is, you know, you, you, you don't know what you don't know. So go out and learn and, and then you'll be better for it. Exactly. You'll be better for it. Last question before we hop off this call is, um, what is someone, something that you've read, listened to their podcast, you follow them on LinkedIn, et cetera, that others you think would find value from doing the same? Um, oh, put, put me on spot on this one. Um, (laughs) I like to ask ad hoc and not warn people because then you get like a good genuine response. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, I would say, um, you know, I don't know it's the cop way. I mean, if you're not following uh, Adam Grant, for example, you, you should. Um, I'm a little biased. I, I come from a psychology background and I always want to be an organizational psychologist. So I kind of am infatuated with that whole whole career line. But there's a lot of really good things there. And I, I think uh, for me, an objective that I've had here is to see the human in the people around us. It's very easy to get, you know, oh, they're they're in my way or or you know, they're, they're not very smart or they're not doing everything, but you stop and realize, you know, they have parents, they have children, they have loved ones. They, 
are in this crazy world uh, on their own. And the best thing that you can do then is show up and see that human and interact with a human. And I find a lot of stuff that Adam Grant uh, pops out is exceptionally really good about, again, maybe not being an asshole and, and trying to get the most out of, out of uh, not just yourself, but the team around you. So uh, yeah, that's, that's probably what I would say for that one. Yeah, not a cop out at all. Adam Grant is brilliant and none of my guests have mentioned him yet. So there it's good. Go. All right. Not new. We'll take it. Awesome. Well, thank you again so much for coming on. If anybody needs to keep up with you or wants to know more about what you're doing at Shopify, LinkedIn. LinkedIn. LinkedIn is the way to go. Beautiful. Find Craig on LinkedIn. We'll link it in the show notes as well. Um, thanks so much. And we'll see you on the next episode. Thank you.